Hello and welcome to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and CHD TV. I'm so pleased to be with you today. I am Bernadette Pager, your host. And before I go too much further, I want to let you all know that, you know, we are moving into the silly season. And by that, you know, legislative session in many states, including Washington and Tennessee. And um, moving forward for a while, we're probably going to be talking about bills, talking about some legislation and whether I personally or the organization uh, that I wear a hat for, uh, Informed Choice Washington, um, how we feel about that legislation. So I want to make the official announcement that the views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent the views of Children's Health Defense. And I want to, you know, put out there that the show is being paid for by very generous sponsors to Inform Choice Washington, to our C4 account that gives us uh, the tools we need in order to be very active citizens and let our voice be heard on important legislation. So I'm very pleased that joining me today, I've got my co-host, Javier Figueroa. He's been absent during the holidays. I'm so glad to have him back. Hello, Bernadette. Hello. It's sunny there in Idaho. It is gorgeous today. Finally, some sunshine. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Um, I'm it's so I'm so pleased to have you back. Um, I had uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Zoe O'Toole, who was one of the co-editors on Turtles All the Way Down: Vaccine Science and Myth. If you don't have a copy of that book, get it. Um, fabulous book. In fact, Informed Choice Washington has purchased, thanks to generous donors, a copy of that book for every legislator in Washington State, wow. and they are going to be hand delivered on January 9th, on Monday. So we're get, there's going to be a big rally. And I tell you, oh, I'm tempted to get on a plane and go out there, but I'm going to be in Nashville, <laughs> walking the halls and doing things in Nashville at the Capitol here. But I, you guys got to get there. Great leaders of Informed Choice Washington are going to be there. We've got Bob Runnels, who's now our vice president, and Lisa Templeton, who is secretary, and uh, Yale Cantor, uh, who's a chiropractor, and she is our treasurer. Um, she might not be able to be there because she's got to do some work, in, but I believe she's got a medical professional that might be joining us that works with her. And we've got legislators that are eager to come say a few words to the gathered crowd, and let's make it a crowd so loud that they're going to hear us inside the Capitol building when they're doing the swearing in. We want to be heard. <laughs> there's going to be music. I say we, because I'm going to be there in spirit. Um, <laughs> there's going to be uh, live music, Misty Flowers. And I'll have to pull up later this name of this uh, freedom hip hop guy is going to be there. Uh, it, it's going to be great. And, and you're going to learn about bills to fight and bills to champion and uh, roll up your sleeves, folks, because this is your state. This is your government. This is your legislature. And it's time to take take things back. So uh, here's my plug. Monday. There go to informedchoicewa.org backslash event and you'll find some details. Well, there's bare bones details. So give give me a few days. To, <laughs> I'll get more details out there soon. <laughs> the main thing is get to Olympia Capital Steps between 11 and 1 on Monday. Yeah. It's really fun. People don't really understand, Javier. I didn't know. I thought politics was boring. 
it's anything but boring. It's infuriating. Yes. Um, but it, and it's exciting. Um, and the more comfortable you get with it, the more confident you are in who you are, what your rights are, and what the issues are, the more going to visit your legislators as an equal, with, with all due respect for their elected position, right? But with your passion and knowing that they work for you, it's really empowering. And then of course, I'm here in this great free state of Tennessee, which is not without its problems. Let me tell you, you know, there's stuff going on everywhere. However, to have experienced last year um, an environment in a legislative arena that is so much more the way our founding fathers intended it to be with legislators who listen to respect as much respect to the mama bears as to that lobbyist walking in the door. It was pretty exciting. Yeah. So we can take back Washington. You know, it can happen. Are, what about in Idaho? Are you? Uh, <clears throat> so right now, you know, Boise, you can walk into the Capitol and no one's going to stop you. There's mm -hmm. Um, and uh, what's interesting is that most of the uh, legislators there are, they have an open door policy. Come on. That's in. good. That's good. So you can talk to people, but there's definitely a, a creep that is uh, occurring within the uh, legislature in Idaho where um, they're giving due deference to anything that relates to public health without being critical or Ooh. asking questions. So that's Ooh. an important, that's an important feature that needs to be addressed. Basically yeah. saying, no, you know, public health is there to recommend people make the final decision, individual right. final decision. And we, well, we really need the, our legislatures to um, begin to scrutinize public health because public health is not serving public health no. these days. And that's the legislature's job is to make sure these government agencies, they create by law and they fund by law mm -hmm. are actually following law and serving the public. So we'll talk about that more later. I, I want to get on to our, our guest who we've had on before. We are bringing on uh, Scott Shara, who is a beautiful soul, the father of Grace, who is now one of the angels fighting in this good movement. But Grace lost her life to hospital protocols. And, and Scott Shara has now dedicated his life to looking at and addressing and stopping the corruption um, and really the inhumanity that is happening um, in our hospital systems today. It, it probably was beginning pre-COVID, but by gum, everything that happened in COVID began to really instill that there is a systemic, a systemic, um, not even quite sure how to to word that, Scott, but just things are being built in so that there is an understanding of a judgment of the worthy of a life. Yes. You know, of the worth of a life and if it's worth saving or worth the materials. And, um, you know, we've talked a lot in the past. We, a lot of our audience have heard your story. I just want to tell people <clears throat> if you have not heard about Grace, um, go to ouramazinggrace.net. And you can read all about her and see your photos and and everything. But Scott, I'm going to let you go ahead and and lead us here um, because you've got some new information in your uh, research that you want to make sure everybody knows about. So you in your introduction, you you said this has likely been going on for a long time, and you know it's been going on for decades and decades. But there was a defining date and time when you could say that. The stake was put in the ground to start the process of 
um, normalizing euthanasia. So I'll mm -hmm. call it that. So the date was March 23rd of 2010. That's the, that's the date Obamacare was passed. And that, what, that law was passed under the idea presented by Ezekiel Emanuel. And I'm just going to read what he wrote. So this is, he started this uh, thought process back in 1996. And he said, services provided to individuals who are irreversibly prevented from being or becoming participating citizens are not basic and should not be guaranteed. So just think through that. So he is the architect of Obamacare. His okay. belief is that if you're not a contributing member of society, you should not um, get the same health care as somebody who is a contributing member of society. So yeah. just want to frame what's going on. I mean, people are, of course, all up in arms with COVID, which I, I get. I mean, I, my daughter was murdered because of COVID protocols. But this isn't this didn't just happen. No, this no. For a long time. And I remember, you know, I am somebody who in throughout my 59 years, well, back up when you start voting and you're 18, however many years that is, 40 years now of voting, um, I have voted all over the place. And I, I voted for Obama. I was so excited about, he was a beautiful writer. Uh, he he well-spoken. I love the ideals the surface of the ideals because I didn't understand politics and legislation and, um, and where things could lead dressed up in a beautiful package. And I remember when we started hearing things like this, I remember that well, this whole thing about, I'm like, wait a minute, that's horrifying. This, this can't be this, this, this beautiful person. We just put in office. That's historical. The, the, he couldn't be supporting euthanasia, could he? And then there was other legislation later on um, that he championed that came in that was filled with things like putting pregnant women and their unborn children under the 1986 act. So now you could administer vaccines to them that could harm the baby. And the, and the, you know, there were just one, it was one thing after another where, the person and the messaging and, and all the smiles and happiness and, and, you know, kumbaya was not matched by the legislation being passed and the things that were being said. So, um, yeah, continue. So that was 2010, right? You said it was 2010. So March of 2010. So then what happened is that when people started to dig and it, this got championed by Senator Jay Rockefeller, um, that there should be an independent payment advisory board. So, you know, they frame these or they use these words and it sounds like it's good. But I mean, this was the death panel. So this was the concern that everybody had with Obamacare. There's going to be death panels because Ezekiel Emanuel is behind this. And, you know, so ultimately um, those death panels were were shot down by Congress. But what the way I look at this today is that they it was a multi-headed dragon so they slayed one head of the dragon but now it reared its head and that's the first thing that I want to share is this document that I sent to you which you can put in your show notes uh, it's a charter for what's called the Medicare Evidence Development and Coverage Advisory Committee so again, these, you know, when you look at the words, it sounds, it doesn't sound like anything bad. So the acronym is MedCat, 
MedCAC. Uh, it, they are specifically, according to their charter, charged with deciding which medical items and services are reasonable and necessary or otherwise covered for Medicare beneficiaries under Title 18 of the Social Security Act. So that seems innocent enough, um, but it isn't. This is how they, this is the same type of language that they hid death panels before. So first of all, you would say, well, I'm not on Social Security or I'm not on Medicaid. So that doesn't even apply to me. But that, that really is uh, one, of the, one of the many lies with this entire situation. And I found this out firsthand uh, roughly five years ago, five and a half years ago, as I was diagnosed with heart disease. In that process, they had a script that they wanted me to follow. You've got to do all these things, get on a statin drug. And, you know, thankfully uh, we have a doctor friend when I called her and told her, she sent me some research. Her husband had just had a heart attack. She sent me a bunch of research and I realized that everything that they were telling me was wrong. Uh, in fact, the research said just the opposite. The research said to drill down your blood chemistry, find out what the cause of your infl inflammation is and implement accordingly. So, you know, I start sharing this with the doctor and the nurse and the nurse pulled me aside and she said, Scott, I want to tell you something that you're not going to want to hear. I said, go ahead. And she said, the reason we keep pushing the statin drug on you is we have to. Our Medicare and Medicaid reimbursement rates for our practice are dependent upon getting all of our patients following the script that's coming down from the centers for Medicaid and Medicaid Medicare and Medicaid services. So if we don't follow those scripts, our medic our reimbursement rates go down. So what's going on here is even though this says that it only applies to Medicare beneficiaries under Title 18 of the Social Security Act, they're setting the standard of care for the entire country. So you've got oh, to yeah. first understand that. This is a huge deal. Uh, you know, remember I'm just yeah. a dad. Okay. So I mean, but what right I so don't 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 think that I have some great legal mind or something, but I'd like to research. And when I start getting into something, you just like, holy cow, what's yeah. going on? And and, so and Scott, right. And so the statin is just the tip of the iceberg for so many health conditions. There are if you don't follow the protocol, your office doesn't get reimbursed, or you go on a bigger level, your whole hospital system doesn't get reimbursed. They're incentivized. Yes. And and there are things set with like the flu vaccine. Why is the flu vaccine pushed on you when you're at the hospital? Because that also is incentivized. And if a certain number of your hospital staff don't get the flu vaccine, you don't earn the you know, a certain amount. I mean, there's so much financial incentive to to do all these things in a cookie cutter style um, with no regard for whether or not for any individual health need. It is it's just it's an industry and we are the cash machines. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And once no, you get a drug or a vaccine or something that is recommended and on this preferred list, you know, it's, it's, you can't, it's so hard to get it off. I mean, statins, Scott, there's so much science that shows those statins are far more danger than they ever have ever done any good. And yet, because they're so built into the system um, through our government, then it's, 
it's so you have to just keep saying no it must be infuriating every time you go well it's, it is frustrating i mean i don't go there anymore i mean i ended up taking some of my own advice and i found a, a, a local clinic that's not in the system and i Good. became a there because i mean you can't get objective advice from the conventional system and you know we no. we have had medical insurance for years i mean we're self-paid so um it, it works out well i mean you're you end up buying into this um well my insurance won't cover it unless i go here well then i mean you're you're getting what you're paying for which is literally uh, a system designed to take you out um, but before they take you out, they want to medicate you because they have to be profitable. So, you know, what, what's going on with this charter for, for MedCAC is that this has become now the new uh, law for euthanasia, literally. And the, the timing of this is quite interesting. I want to just explain it. So this was passed or approved, I should say on November 23rd. So this is the day before Thanksgiving by the Secretary of Health and Human Services. And then it was filed on Thanksgiving Day. So, so could you explain where like where it started? I mean, was it a was it a, is it an actual law that went through the Senate and the House and passed no. or is it a rule? It's a rule. It's a rule. it's not yeah, it's, I don't think something like this would ever get through the Senate or House, but that isn't that isn't how they operate. I mean, they they operate by um, essentially, you know, they they operate by by uh, dictatorship essentially, and then these rules that they pass, and you're going to see this furthermore right. when I talk about the DNR and Grace's case. Okay, they pass these these quote rules, and that ends up becoming the standard of care. And unless somebody challenges it, yeah. it just keeps going. So, do you know at the state level? There are different age, government agencies that have rulemaking authority. They cannot write a rule that is not supported by the law. There has to be a law that gives the agency the specific authorization to write whatever this rule is about. And I'm wondering if, a, if this rule has any statutory authority or is it set up different at the federal level or is that something you don't know yet? I don't know, but I can tell you the impetus for it. Uh, the August 31st of 2021 Medicare trustees report specifically says because Medicare and Medicaid patients account for 39% of the annual federal budget. That's $2.2 trillion. And the that report was written with the conclusion that said something substantial needs to be done. And what I'm telling, what I'm trying to tell people is something substantial means euthanasia. And this document is the smoking gun for legalized euthanasia in the United States. This is already happening in the UK. I've been very fortunate to um, have, have long discussions with Kate Shemarani from the UK. And she is she has found the smoking guns in the UK. She's the one who motivated the research here because she said, Scott, in the UK, they're they're euthanizing two thousand people a day. That's that's what the government is insisting the hospitals do in order to break even. So she said, there's you know the United States hides this stuff, you know. But she said there's got to be a smoking gun in the United States that's doing the same thing. And this is what the this is what we found in in. Uh, digging into the research. So the excuse, of course, is is the budget. 
39%, 2.2 trillion dollars, we got to get that down. Well, how do you get it down? I mean, with COVID, they the number one and number two um, hospital deaths were of the elderly and the disabled. So they paid hospitals to kill those two population groups. And it had, you know, the average payment to the hospitals for bonuses from the government was 100 grand. And the average cost of somebody on Medicare and Medicaid is 32,000. So by paying 100,000, you can take out somebody and have a three-year payback on your investment. So, I mean, this became, you know, you, and you just process how, how crazy this is. You know, they're passing bills in the trillions of dollars with no accountability. So they can print fiat money to cover anything that they choose. So they're specifically choosing to not cover the elderly and the disabled. And, and you know, obviously this, this is that smoking gun, but I want to connect the dots with one further thing, because you might remember, I think you and I talked about this, Bernadette, that the public health emergency was re-upped on October 13th of 2022. That happened to be the one-year anniversary of Grace's murder. So uh, the first public health emergency related to COVID was signed on January 27th of 2020. By law, they have to re-up this thing every 90 days. So, I mean, now we're into COVID for three years, okay? They just re-up it on October 13th. Okay, so now that's coming due next week. So last time they re-upped it, they had three reasons to to continue it. Number one is they wanted to continue to provide immunity from liability to the manufacturer, the vaccine manufacturers. Well, now they foolishly have the supposed vaccine on the childhood vaccination schedule. So they've got their immunity from liability for that piece. The second piece was that the Pre they wanted the PrEP Act to continue, which the PrEP Act provides immunity from liability for the hospitals murdering people. And then third, the bonus payments to the hospitals would continue. So now the the vaccine situation, that third reason is gone. So they, they still have the hospital killings. But I don't believe, you know, my personal belief, we're going to find out next week, is that the public health emergency is not going to be re-upped again. And so if that's the case, they have to have a different way. And following the UK model, they have to have in place a mechanism to have a money trail to euthanize. And I believe that's what is this is and that's what's going to happen. So that's yeah. that's I mean, this is this is the the biggest reason I wanted to come on is to explain this. But then the other two things I want to show um, how they do it, you know, on a on a very practical level and then what you can do to protect yourself on a practical level. But do you have any other questions on this one first? I'm I'm just sort of stunned and and I'm so grateful you discovered this that you discovered like we knew as you mentioned that we knew they were eventually going to have to try to get off the prep act and onto the 1986 act and we watched in horror as they did it with no data with the most dangerous injection ever pushed on the american or the world and and then this other I didn't I didn't even imagine that that they were trying to find a tool to take the place of the emergency situation that was allowing them to do these killing hospital protocols. But there you go. You found it. That is amazing. And that brilliant woman in the UK, 
Thank goodness for her diving. I mean, you know, this whole thing, it's just like the the ordinary person rolling up their sleeves and just taking action. I'm so proud of you, Scott. And well, I know Grace is so proud of you, you know. Don't give me any credit. I mean, it's. I know you feel that way. I know you feel that way, dear. And um, so I, I'll quit. I'll quit saying that because I know it makes you uncomfortable. But I just want to let you know that we're grateful for you. Well, one. <clears throat> so, sorry. Before jumping forward, you, I think you nailed it on the head. This this legislative session, nothing's going to get done. Budgets are not going to get passed. But the one thing that they did do before the new Congress went into session was they passed the NDAA, the Omnibus Spending Bill. And I guarantee you that in that bill, there is language allowing for the transition away from re-upping the EUA and going directly into defense spending and defense authorizations for doing this. So there's plenty of evidence coming around that uh, a lot of the laws that have been changed allow for declarations by certain states or certain governors or certain department heads, especially HHS, to actually take the reins and just circumvent that. One of the reasons that FDA was able to get through all the vaccine uh, requirements was because it was EUA, but also HHS uh, had the right to suspend certain rules. Mm. Yeah. So, um, Javier, are you saying that the mechanism <laughs> they're going to use to do all the 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 shutdown, lockdown, quarantine, mask up, inject is going to be now through Department of Defense. It's going to be that's going to be used instead of this other emergency process. It's probably going to be a hybrid Department of Defense, Health and Human Services um, um, program that's already in the works. There's an advisory group that was created, uh, several advisory groups created that involved the Department of Defense and the Department of Health and Human Services, as well as other departments uh, to guide and implement certain recommendations. So, again, it's the money's there. That's concerning. And it sounds like the infrastructure is being implemented too, tied up in pretty little ribbons that makes it sound like we're just being, we're just doing, doing good for the world. So, okay, Scott, what's well, next? I want to, I want to add yeah. something to what Javier just said and that, you know, these hospitals have become dependent on this bonus money. Mm -hmm. And so there has to be a way um, to, you know, and I think that's what Kate, Kate has connected the dots in the UK that they're literally now paying paying hospitals to euthanize, which I mean, in the bigger picture, we know that's the goal. You know, they they don't, you know, as, as Ezekiel Emanuel said, you know, these people are a burden to society, they shouldn't be here. But then, you know, you fit that into the World Economic Forum and, you know, all the nefarious things going on and it, everything fits like a glove. And, you know, now the hospitals are going to be, you know, there's, there's already departments shutting down because, mm -hmm. you know, they're, for one, people are getting wise, you know, partially because of hearing stories like Grace's, they're, they're thinking, I don't want to go to the hospital. So people aren't going, you know, so mm -hmm. then if, if you shut off the supply, obviously that impacts your profitability. And so then the government feels this need to step in and, you know, it's, it, uh, this is, this is pretty sick stuff. And just to add on top of it, it's not just medical spending that is the, uh, the issue here. For every person you take, every person you remove from society, they're, you know, either they're on, on medical disability or they're retired. Basically, what you're doing is removing a person that's actually drawing a pension 
using social security or using other services. So this is not just hospital and medical utilization. It's a slew of other services as well as money that's been put in by mm -hmm. different groups of people over time. So this is a way to actually, and unfortunately, this is, this is the language that a lot of the, uh, the groups use. This is about putting um, budget priorities or uh, aligning budgets with, uh, with, uh, with the future expected utilizations. That's yeah. the use. It has nothing to do with morality, which is, I think that's the major problem. Once you remove morality, you remove any restraint and it's all economics and utilitarianism. That's Ooh. it. And then you go to, that's Christine Grady. That's uh, Fauci's wife who is still in her job, right? her some sort of leader of supposed medical ethics. I mean, this is from the things that I've read about what she believes in. This is what she believes in. This is her form of ethics. And I find it fascinating that um, that same method of you give people enough money to do something and then they become beholden to you and dependent on you. They will do whatever you say to keep, you know, um, keep what you're giving them. It works for corporations, for hospitals. It works for everything as well as the individual. But then what happens when everybody finally is like playing their game and then they reveal their true selves and they say, okay, if you want to keep the money going, roll up that sleeve, bend over. Here we go. We're, uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's, that's, uh, that's right on. And I, I do want to emphasize the date that this was signed by the Secretary of Health and yeah. Human Services because it was the day before Thanksgiving and okay. then approved on Thanksgiving. So just process that. You know, I think that in and of itself shows you what's going on because, you know, the press is all shut down during that time. Yeah. Everybody takes off for Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And, you know, it's yeah. like... That's what they've always done. They always release right before a holiday, right, right before a weekend and, and try to bury it. But we're not going to let it be buried. This is this is big. So then I want to just talk about what happens on a practical level. So, again, mm -hmm. you know, you're you're uh, when you commented on MedCat, you're saying, well, what law? You know, they have to follow the uh, you know, their rules have to follow a law, which I get. I mean, that unfortunately the three of us have always operated in that rule box, right? So that's what we believe, but that's not what's happening anymore. Mm -mm. These, these rules that we think are there and these laws that we think they're there to protect us, that they still are there to protect us, but they operate a different way. And so with Grace's DNR, I just want to explain this because people are, you got to sue them and they're, they're, that violates a law. Okay, well, yeah, but my daughter's dead. Okay. So yes, they violated a law. So what? I can't bring her back. And, and it costs $250,000 to sue them. And then who's all bought in the process? And it's, you know, is the judge even bought? And before you get justice, with the the case it's going to be two years down the road and so now we we have between 500 and a thousand people still being murdered in the hospitals every single day so so big deal they violated a law and eventually we get justice but it's two years down the road and so i mean i'm you know i'm yeah. all in on that but i just want to explain you know people thinking sue them and sue them i mean yeah you don't have any concept of what they're doing 
That's mm -hmm. why I get on these programs like this because this might change. It might save a life. I mean, we've yeah. that's that matters. Uh, so anyway, yeah. I, as a, go ahead, Bernadette. I can tell well, you have something. Well, I, I just wanted to ask you where the figure came from, the estimate that 500 to 1,000 individuals are still every day losing their lives to these hospital protocols. Where's as soon that? as we're done, I can email you the research I did on this. So, okay. and, and so how this came about is I started digging. I just, <laughs> you know, you don't like to get up in the morning and start researching. But I mean, back when President Biden on September 19th said the the uh, that the pandemic is over so i thought oh my gosh you can't believe that i mean of course we know it's over but you know he's you know whenever a, a government official says this you can say whatever is opposite of that is true so then i started <laughs> i started digging and one of the neat things about what's happened with COVID is there is a lot of quality statistics available and one of the quality statistics is uh, in fact, I can email it to you right now if you want. But um, anyway, so I looked up what was what's the situation for the week ending September 20th, day after he said the pandemic is over. And the United States had 28,833 new hospitalizations with COVID as the diagnosis for that week. So then you think, okay, well, what does that mean? So I took six other countries. So the United States population is 335 million. I took six other developed countries whose population together was 352 million. So more than the United States. In that same week, they had 17,000 less hospitalizations than the United States. Okay, so now you project that out to um, two to three weeks, which is the average hospital stay. And on October 5th, so remember this is the weekend, it's September 20th. So those people now would be murdered so on the the number of people murdered on October fifth was a thousand eighty five people. So then you know so then I thought was well, you know what's the average? So I mean I just looked at seeing okay well there's a between five hundred and a thousand every every single day. And so why you know and the reason I started looking that up is because I had my sense was they were going to re up the the public health emergency, which they did three weeks after Biden said the pandemic is over. Yeah. So then, you know, I just, because you asked the question, you're getting an awful long answer to a simple question, but it's important so people understand these numbers. So now you see, holy cow, we're, we have that many more hospitalizations than the rest of the, the world? Yeah, we do. And it gets worse than that. We're the only country, we're number one in hospital killings in the entire world, number one. We have 1.1 million hospital murders in the United States with COVID as a diagnosis. Okay, so big deal. Well, what's num who's number two? This will shock you. Number two is India. And they have four times the population of the United States. And their footprint on the planet is only one third. And mm -hmm. they, on they only have 525,000 deaths. Less than 50% of the United States. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, you said, the, so does that yeah, answer your question? That's a long answer. Yeah, but and the the um the safest place to be during all of this, what was it, Haiti? I mean, one of the poor the poorest, go to the poorest place in the world, and that was the best place to hide out during COVID. I don't think they had any deaths in Haiti, did they? <laughs> you know, because they didn't have the money to go to the hospital or become part of the <laughs> infrastructure that led to all these deaths. Um 
they probably have really good gut biomes too. I mean, if, if you're living close to the soil and organic and all that, then, you know, they've really linked um, some particular strains of bacteria to being resilient to SARS-CoV-2. And that might be one of the mechanisms of action of, um, of ivermectin because it's a fermented soil bacteria. So anyway, I digress. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm switching gears now to, you know, again, they operate outside the rule box. So in Wisconsin, there's a state statute 154, which is the DNR statute. So just to take you back to Grace's situation, um, at 1048 in the morning on her last day, which was just two hours after the phone call my wife and I had with the doctor, <coughs> They had increased Grace's dose of Presidex to 14 times the dose that she was on four and a half days earlier. Then they used that as, and you know, so it, this you can't make this up. I mean, he tells us how great of a day she had. Uh, we should get her out of a chair today, and or get her in a chair today. Um, let's let's uh, get some nutrition. We approve a feeding tube, and you know, ultimately, the sequence of events is is so egregious. But anyway, they in. At 10.48 in the morning, they've got Presidex now at 14 times the dose they started around four days earlier without our permission. Eight minutes later, they put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. So we, you know, you see, this has got to be the most egregious part of her death because you read the statute and it's just, it's pure logic, just what you would expect. I mean, a DNR, um, you know, somebody has to approve it. That's either the patient or the patient power of attorney, which was my wife, Cindy. So, yeah. I mean, and, and DNR, I don't think we said it is do not resuscitate order. Correct. Right. So now, you know, after Grace died, you know, this shows you how naive I was at the time. I had requested on, so I had gone through the records with a doctor on November, Grace died on October 13th, November 8th. We had about 100 hours in. We knew she was killed. We sent everything to the hospital, requesting a meeting with the hospital CEO and the doctor, figuring that they would want to see what they did so they don't do it again. On December 2nd, they send us an email back. We're not going to meet with you. So I thought, this is kind of strange. Um, so then I sent a complaint against the doctor and the hospital to the state regulatory agencies. And the one I want to focus on is the Department of Safety and Professional Services. That's the organization in Wisconsin that regulates doctors. They are they supposedly work for us. Okay. So now I, I sent the complaint in December 2nd. They sent me a letter dated January 20th of 2022 saying we did an investigation. The doctor didn't do anything wrong. So it, this is the first day. So we got, I got that letter on January 24th. I opened it up. It's like, okay, I'm really starting to wake up now. In fact, when I opened, I thought they're all in on this. So, I mean, I'm starting to wake up. So now um, an investigative reporter flew to Appleton to interview me for a do not resuscitate um, documentary. He had heard about Grace's case. So he's he starts poking around with this department because he can't figure this out. I show him all the records. He's thinking, holy cow, this is incredible. So he he sends emails to the Department of Safety and Professional Services asking, you know, did the rules change for COVID for DNRs? Nope. They sent back, nope, no rules changed. Um, they sent him a letter dated January 3rd from the doctor's attorney who responded to my complaint. It's a seven page letter. There's at least 50 lies in this letter. 
So I wrote my response. I just kept it for the legal team. You know, nobody's seen that other than the legal team. So they they at least have that. So anyway, you've, you would think if you're going to do an objective investigation, you have me who wrote the complaint, the doctor's attorney responds, but then you would send that response to me so I have a chance to rebut it. But they didn't, they closed the case. Okay, so now I'm building up to what I have to talk about. So now this investigative reporter pokes around some more because he's still, he's like, what is going on here? So now they sent him, and the one that I sent you has his name redacted, but they sent him this, this um, email dated December 5th. And so this is just a month ago. It says specifically, chapter 154 of the Wisconsin statutes does not apply to physicians operating in hospital, non-emergency room settings such as the one in question. So if you just think through, what does that mean? Again, we're, we know what the rules are their own agency that regulates the doctors are telling the doctors <clears throat> you can put DNRs on people at your discretion in a hospital. As long as it's in a hospital, you're covered. I mean, this is so much crap. You and, can't make it up. Yeah. And Scott, right, when you first told me about that, I mean, I asked you the question, it's like, where else and who else would ever know about a DNR? I mean, you don't do a DNR at the grocery store. You don't, exactly. you know, I mean, there's nowhere else in your life where a DNR applies. You are in the hospital or on hospice or some something like that. But I mean, 90, I, I would like to know the percentage of use of DNR in a hospital setting versus outside of a hospital or ER setting. I want to know um, that. So, you know, it, why even bother writing the law that, um you, you know that that law exists if if there's nobody for it to apply to right well, I, I i mean there's here's what really is strange about this this memo is that when they wrote their response dated january 20th you know they didn't know us from adam yeah now this this response is written knowing who we are you know oh. we're we're very well known in this in this environment so, you know, this this has meaning. So we're going to obviously find out as the case proceeds. But then um, last, I, I want to give people something that they can, because, you you know, anybody listening, you'd think, okay, what, what do I do? I mean, this is, you know, you essentially with this DNR rule, you have to have your chart in, you know, live scrolling in front of you while you're laying in the hospital bed so that you know if they put a DNR on you, right? That's really what this has come to. Because otherwise you think, well, there's no DNR. I didn't sign anything. You don't have to sign anything. They could just put it in your chart. So you need you need a, a, um, a direct link from the chart to your cell phone so that you have that live in the hospital to see, did they put a DNR, you know, every five minutes checking, did they put one on me yet? Did they put one, you know, this seems ridiculous, but that's really what it's come to. So the what what happened since since uh, I was on last is my wife and I did our first hospital rescue, and that really opened my eyes to how people can prepare. And so what happened was this happened on November fifth. The man we rescued, his name is Robert Pazer. He um, he has a disability, and so his sister called me on November 3rd and uh, said, can you help? She had gotten, 
our my number from a friend of a friend because our billboards are up and so she said can you help me i said what's going on she said my brother just went into the hospital with covid and he's disabled i said what does he have and she said he has sma i said what does that mean uh it stands for spinal muscular atrophy so i said well i don't know what that is explain it so she said well he's had it since birth um you know, it's a degenerative disease. He just keeps getting worse and worse. You know, he can't feed himself. He's intelligent. He can speak. You know, he, he speaks broken, but it's just simply because of, of how contorted his esophagus is. And he only weighs 40 pounds. And so I said to her, I said, you're going to think I'm a whack job, but I got to say this because I don't know if I'll talk to you again. I said, they're going to try to kill him. And she was surprisingly open. She said, what do I do? And so I said, you've got to get there and be a physical advocate, not, not there to hold his hand, to protect his life. You know, make sure they don't give him any remdesivir, no ventilator, no vaccines. And um, she texted me the next evening at 11 p.m. I was already in bed. And she, in the text, said they already gave him remdesivir. So, I mean, I, when I woke up the next morning, I, this is an emergency. So I got a hold of her and Ultimately, <laughs> by nine o'clock that morning, Saturday morning, I was in the hospital room with Robert. And, you know, it was that that is quite a tough situation. I mean, you walk into a house. I've never done a medical rescue, but I had met multiple people in this fight and they all chipped in. I mean, they were just fantastic. Nicole from Truth for Health, uh, Greta from Protocol Kills, uh, Laura Bartlett, who does um, hospital rescue? She rescues. She's Dr. Richard Bartlett's sister. Um, you know, I've I've met all these people, and it's like, wow. I mean, so I call. And they're walking me through. They're coaching me. Uh, uh, Laura Bartlett said, "You got to get this form printed. This is the medical directives form, and and get Robert to sign it or his power of attorney to sign it. And then you're going to, you're basically going to lay the law down with the hospital. Say, listen, this is we're done with this foolishness. So." Um, get to the hospital. You know, I, when I, you know, you, you don't know what it's like to meet a 40 pound man who's already been given three doses of remdesivir, three doses and more is a 75% kill rate. And based on his body weight, they actually gave him six doses. So, I mean, they hadn't bathed him, nothing. They didn't take care of him. Um, his mom was there. She's the caregiver. You know, I just knelt down by him right away. I gave him a hug and I prayed with him. And he just looked me in the eye and said, Scott, please do not leave me. And I said, I won't. And then, I mean, you can't remember when I met you physically in June. Mm -hmm. Well, I also met um, that day or the next day after I, I drove to the airport, I rode with Peter McCullough in the van to the airport. So I got mm -hmm. his ear for 45 minutes. He gave me his cell phone number. I texted Peter McCullough then from the hospital room and said, listen, this is what I'm doing. Can you help? He, and he said, I can't help today. Call Merrick. So I didn't have, I had Paul Merrick's home number, but on his cell. So McCullough texts me Merrick's cell phone number. I text Merrick. Merrick calls the hospital room five minutes later and walks me through. Yeah, I put him on speakerphone. And the yeah, it was one of the funny things was is that there was a friend of the family there who was who was awake. So I mean, he's he's seeing me text McCullough. Merrick calls and he said, who are you? You know, <laughs> I just said, I, I'm nobody, but I just happened to meet all these people. And, you know, this is the time, right? Yeah, so then, yeah. you know, so we get Merrick's on speakerphone. He's telling me he needs this much ivermectin, NAC, um, 
vitamin C, vitamin D, um, a budesonide. budesonide. So, you know, basically I was aware of all these things, but I didn't know the dosages. So I called my wife. I said, bring in my NAC, my ivermectin, my vitamin D, vitamin C, because we're going to give this to Robert. And she's like, how can you bring that in? They don't want to allow it. And we had complete freedom in this hospital room. So she brings the stuff in. We have the meeting with the doctor, um, told him we want ivermectin. We want it. He wouldn't give a, anything. Um, other than budesonide. Thankfully, he prescribed budesonide. So this doctor comes in, you can't, you know, I like saying the phrase, you can't make this up, but because it applies. So he comes in, he's got a full beard. So he's got this, this thing that's, it's like a saran wrap down, you know, and it's, he's got like, you know, he's ready to, to launch on an Apollo mission. And <laughs> after we, after we give him the the form, now he com he comes back later, he doesn't have anything on now. Because the gig is up, right? I mean, I you know, <laughs> was telling this story the other day, and the guy said you should have had those spy glasses on so you could have recorded all this stuff. Because you know, and so finally, you know, we we get Robert out of bed, bathe him, give him the ivermectin, start feeding him, and you could see him turn around in front of our eyes. Mm. It was just, it was quite a miracle. Then mm. eleven and a half hours later, we physically removed him. And wow. you know they wouldn't give, they wouldn't do a prescription for oxygen. They wouldn't do anything. Fortunately, I had an oxygen generator. Um, we we um, used. He wouldn't do the prescription for budesonide, so we got our own nebulizer. Um, my wife gave. We gave them the hydrogen peroxide iodine, so he could at least nebulize. <coughs> and. Mm -hmm. You know, the the thing that that maybe is the most uh, interesting piece of this whole story with him is that at the end, so they they said you this is, you're leaving against medical advice. The doctor wants you to stay overnight. Said no, we're, we're, we've had enough. Okay, we're leaving. So they would not even remove the IVs out of his arm. So there was a shift change. A Filipino nurse came in, and the family knew she was kind. So they asked if she would remove them. She did it. So then now we're, we've got all of his stuff packed up. He's in his wheelchair. We're ready to go. And she's still in the room. And I said, you know, I don't know that I'll ever have this opportunity again. So I just want to ask you a, a couple of questions. And so I said to her, you know, you know, you've been around long enough. You know, they were trying to kill him. So I said, you don't have to comment on that. I'm not expecting you to comment, but I don't understand how you could participate. And she said, "Oh, maybe I should I should end now, and then you have to tune in for for the rest of the story." What do you think about that? <laughs> I think we can do that. Yes, I, you're, you're gonna. <laughs> you're getting yeah. a sense of yeah. I, I rarely okay. have my sense of humor come out on these serious times. Yeah, but, you do, but yeah. yeah, we're down to just like the last two minutes, so we're gonna keep <laughs> kind of then back up, like you know, and and then come bring us to that point again. So, so okay, so anyway, she says. She said, I'm from the Philippines, and if I do not follow the script, they'll ship me back. I'm on a visa. They will ship me back. Oh, and, no. You know, it's like, wow, that is that is the real deal right there. So anyway, what I, I tell the story because, not because of the story, but because this, this medical directives form, which I sent to you, you can put in the show notes, this is part of what you need to do to be prepared. And I say this in the idea that, so I learned this 
30 years ago from a pastor. He said, there's two mistakes you can make. And at that time, he was talking about Y2K. But I'm with your hospital care, there's two mistakes you can make. Number one is failure to prepare. And this is part of preparation. And number two is relying on your preparations. You rely on the finished work of Jesus Christ uh, because God is the only one who can protect you. None of these forms are going to do diddly, but they are part of your responsibility to protect yourself. So and your that's loved all ones. I Oh, bless you, Scott. That was brilliant. Um, such important information. Thank you for bringing it to us. Uh, go to Amazing Grace, um, our AmazingGrace.net. You can read about Grace. And you've got some of these forms uploaded there, correct? Yeah, Share, it's under Scott. the Urgent tab. This, this, These forms are there. Check the Urgent tab and you can go to those forms. We will put them later on in the show notes on our Substack and on our website. So you've been listening to an informed life radio with Scott Shara and Dr. Uh, Javier Figueroa and Bernadette Pager. And we will be back after a break. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me the love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM, KKNW and CHD TV. This is Bernadette Pager, and I'm here with Javier Figueroa. Um, in the second hour, in case the hours ever get split up, you want to say that the views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent the views of children's health defense. Um, and that's because we might talk some politics. So <laughs> <laughs> 
this gets a little crazy. You know, we're doing it on our own. And this show is supported by the C4, the great people, most of them in Washington state who are funding the uh, Informed Choice Washington so that we can get out there and be loud and be heard. And um, I I was, what do you think about what Scott Chair was telling us in that last hour? That was pretty crazy. It was, and it's just part and parcel of, you know, uh, the industrialization of medicine instead of actually being people focused, it's uh, it's finance focused. It, it's an industry and it really is. It is sad. It's just, it, I keep joking, but it's actually not a joke. I think that it, in some circumstance it's going to happen it's going to become kiosk medicine mm. you know yes you just walk up to the kiosk or you might not even have to walk to the kiosk they might just send a drone and you step out on your porch and it scans you and then it dispenses some drugs you yep. know and then if you don't have and then and then of course the drugs will all have those little monitors so if you don't swallow it it knows you didn't swallow it and then they send the other drone that have that looks scarier to tell you to swallow it <laughs> I guess science fiction is going to be the next realm of writing. (laughs) Although it's sad because it's not science fiction anymore. I mean, this is all doable technology right here and now. Oh, Um, yeah. Yeah, not fun. So I I was looking up um, during the break. I was I found the page where MedCAC is and I found that, you know, the documents um, that Scott was uh, talking about and. Yeah, just sneaking that in. Do you remember in 2010? It was in the news. It was big. People were really upset because, you know, even though uh, media back then was somewhat controlled, it was it was free as could be compared to now. Oh, yeah. And they would cover these things. You would hear about it. You'd cover they'd cover the controversy of this. And I remember how appalled everybody was. Um, And that was one of the biggest. Um. I guess issues I remember about Obamacare, other than being forced to pay something, whether or not you wanted it or used it, to being forced to do something seemed very un-American. Yep. I mean, if, if it comes down to it, right, to inform consent with everything in life, and if you have a product or an idea or a concept that is truly good and worthy, and something that people want and is good for them in society, they will choose it voluntarily. No coercion, no force necessary, you know? Exactly. No, that's exactly it. Yeah. 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 So you, sir, have been busy doing some writing. You have a Substack page. I've got your Substack here. I'll go ahead and share that. And and so this this second hour, I want to talk about some of the ideas that – that you've been touching on. Where do I find go find Javier? There you are, dear. Okay. Pull you up. Can you see that now? Yep. It shows okay. up. So this is your Substack um, page and um, extra bonus points for people who can spell your name. <laughs> it's, it is challenging. So I'm going to spell it out. X-A-V-I-E-R, Javier. Mm-hmm. And then Figueroa. I wish I could sing because it's a very musical name. F-I-G-U-E-R-O-A. So go to Substack and find it. And then, um, and if you can't, let me know. I'll send you the link. <laughs> You'll eventually get there. Um, 
So you've been musing, uh, post number seven in particular, I'm going to go over and open up that post I wanted to talk about on why the SARS-CoV-2 virus and the SARS-CoV-2 virus gene therapies do not matter as dot, dot, dot. So what is it that you're talking about here with Trojan horses and laser pointers and Catherine Austin Fitz, who's right here in Tennessee? Yes, she is. <laughs> yeah. So what's well, that? Well, one of the things or one of the uh, um, one of the concerns that I had and one, one of the concerns that keeps on popping up is that a lot of people are focusing on, well, was this or was this not a bioweapon that was released from a lab? Okay. And uh, is, is this a vaccine or is it a gene therapy? And in the end, it doesn't matter because they're both excuses. How do we actually implement a control system? That's the actual thing that's being... Yes. And, you know, it matters because in their attempting to cover up the truth, when you reveal the lie and the huge effort to cover up the lie, you realize that it the intention, no, say that again, that the ultimate goal is control. So this, this was basically used... <clears throat> as a tool to implement a system that they couldn't do otherwise. So when okay. are these, are, are, are the, is, was the virus and the response to the virus, these, these gene therapies, are they important? Of course they are. They, they, they are both crimes. Yeah. They're both tools used in a crime. But what was the end goal? What was the crime that was committed? And this is basically usurpation of and bypassing of all constitutional laws to implement a system that no one in their right mind would say, yeah, please put me in a digital slave camp. Yeah, <clears throat> exactly. Right. So and my concern is, is that people are focusing so much on the origin of the virus. Was it or was it not a real virus? Uh, you know, are there viruses or are there or exosomes? Uh, you know, are these gene therapies or are these, uh, you know, that's people focusing and putting their energy on areas that they really need to say, okay, you're looking in front of the curtain. You have to look behind the curtain and actually see what's going on. Everything that's been going on has been allowing for the um, pushing of, uh, yeah. uh, or basically hiding the fact that the that the current system of debt based, based finance, financing has collapsed. <clears throat> yeah, we are right. we are so in debt that we can't pay for it, and not not the American people. I'm talking about the Federal Reserve Bank right. and every central bank on this planet. They're the ones that are in debt. And they're trying to foist it on the people right now. Right. And and this this can't bode well. Something has to collapse massively and then we start over. Correct. That, that collapse is coming, um, which is why we're here in Tennessee and we're trying to learn how to be farmers. <laughs> Oops, <laughs> pulling them out of my ear. Um, <clears throat> luckily, luckily, some of our neighbors know how to grow food. So I think we've got a couple there of years to go. starve. But... <laughs> You know, I always make light of everything. It's just who I am. You know, I mean, the world collapses around me, and I'll I'll try to make a joke of it. I mean, you know, if you if you don't laugh, you cry, or you cry, right? You so, cry exactly. That yeah. doesn't mean I don't I don't take it seriously. But you know, life is short, and I try to just have the moments together, uh, be light. But <clears throat> so I exactly get where you're going, Javier. But my as I, as I expressed just a second ago, my view is slightly different in that I am thrilled that all these people have like little pieces of the puzzle. 
that's mm-hmm. their baby. It's like, I'm going to prove this because, because that just that sense of injustice that's that A is truth and B is lie and B has been put out there. That's what they won't let go of and good for them because, because revealing truth reveals lies and revealing lies reveals corruption and control. And so we need to know um, that in, in and of itself is not as important as what it represents and and the control and reveals the players. It reveals the puppet masters. When you hear that Fauci was shutting down the great Barrington declaration and trying to disparage and ruin the reputations of the um, the authors of the Great Barrington Declaration for they because they dared to say lockdowns may harm. Mm-hmm. Um, in that you you see you ap- absolutely see that this man has got some scheme and anything critical to it. So that's that's where the revelations are so important. And of course, you know, just truth is important for mankind to make dis- good decisions. If we don't learn the truth about what happened now, Javier, when they try to do it again, we will be fooled. But we have to learn how to see the propaganda. You know, it's like if you absolutely give a man a fish, he eats for a day, you know, but the same thing. If you show somebody propaganda, good, but you teach them how to spot it, and then they're Even really better. protected. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. And, I'll, and I'll give you a really good local Washington state reason um, why it's important for us to reveal the origins. Let's see where I need to do. Um, the origins of um, SARS-CoV-2. Yes. Because Fauci et al., and, uh, you know, they keep trying to push that it is human and animal interaction. It's overpopulation forcing wildlife to live too close together with people. And it's climate change. It's all of these. What are they considered? One <laughs> health global idea. It's called One Health. Yes. And a lot of people didn't hear about One Health until... Um, COVID. And then the World Health Organization started really talking about it it, out there and, you know, and World Economic Forums talking about them. But, you know, if you look carefully in some state governments, even here in Tennessee, in Washington, I'm not sure where all they are yet. They have they have one health departments already at the government level. Many of the universities have departments that are called one health. And it's it's the same language being used at the the World Economic Forum. And the who. Um, so it's not, it's been implanted. It's been woven. It is in there. And um, I don't know why it didn't share. I wanted to show you this. Let's see. There we um, go. Did, did it show up? Okay. Um, yep. So yeah, let me make it bigger. This this is House Bill 1045. I did talk about this last week and I'm talking about it again and I'm going to keep talking about it because this is the one world global reset, you will own nothing and be happy approach now being put into law. So these legislators in Washington state wrote this bill, House Bill 1045, to create what they're calling the Evergreen Basic Income Pilot Program. Mm-hmm. It, it will establish for 7,500 people a test where they get income and we'll talk more about that. I know you read this thoroughly yesterday. Um, oh, yeah. 
who qualifies and how to enter it and that sort of thing. And their reasoning um, is, so at first it's saying that, where is it? Um, 22% of Washington's adult population has a disability and more than a quarter of a million Washington residents have impairments related to mobility, cognition, dressing, and bathing that may prohibit participation in the workforce. You know, um, Javier, based on our conversation with Scott in the last hour, I think all these people need to avoid the hospital, don't you? Um, 100%. Because those are the ones that are being targeted by this new Medicare. Evaluate them. Are they worthy of of resources? Um, stuff there at Medicare that was just put in. Um and then people, they also say that people in certain major life transitions, including uh, being pregnant, parent of a young child, experiencing homelessness, if you're an immigrant, a refugee, an asylee, in the foster care system, the juvenile justice system, criminal justice system, um, in a relationship due to domestic violence or exiting a relationship, have a disability or behavioral health disorder. I mean, isn't aren't like at least a third of the children in the country today have some of these things because of the iatrogenic and environmental injuries they're experiencing. Um, So, but this is the clincher, what we were just talking about and why it's important to get to the truth of SARS-CoV-2 because this bill says the legislature further finds that climate change will spread disease faster than in the past, creating a new normal where interruption of the labor market quarantines and mass disabling events like those seen during the COVID-19 pandemic become more commonplace. So (laughs) mass disabling events. I mean, I can't say that enough. It's so appalling that this is what they want to, they say that it's going to be normal. They want it to be normal. Now they want to build infrastructure that supports a world in which we consider quarantines and mass disabling events normal. And I say, no, I do not accept that. I do not expect that humanity is that stupid that even if we have real science or climate change that's going to impact things, you know what? We can adapt. We Mm -hmm. simplify, right? I mean, we can figure it out. If you can get on a plane from the tundra up in Alaska and fly to Hawaii and figure out your body figures out in 12 hours, how to acclimate to a place Mm -hmm. that's 50 degrees hotter, hotter and, and more human with different bugs. You know, I think over years as things change, we can acclimate and figure it out. Yep. Exactly. (laughs) It doesn't, I mean, I'm not saying that I buy into this climate. I haven't had time to go down the rabbit hole of climate change, but I don't believe in the conspiracy of climate change. Whether or not the climate is changing, I don't believe in the whole, let's use climate change to achieve what we want. Nonsense. Yeah. I just, just to give a a, a bit, bit of background. So climate change, uh, the idea of climate change has actually gone through what they, what several marketing iterations. Yes, um, it has over the decades. Yeah. (laughs) So you, so you've had, you've had cases where you've had, you know, first it was global warming, then it was global cooling, then it was global dimming. And now it's global (laughs) climate change because you need to make, you need to encompass all of it. Right there, yeah, right? and then you don't have to change your term. It took them. Why did it mm-hmm. take them so long to figure out? I mean, their marketing department 
somebody, you know, wasn't earning their wage, they, they should have thought about using a comprehensive term so that no matter what they said, it fit. <laughs> One was basically getting buy-in from um, uh, the various different international climatological and um, uh, environmental groups so that they could get buy-in to actually corral everyone in there. And yeah. so it, it, what, they, what they saw was that there was basically a splitting when they realized, well, no, the climate isn't warming, it's actually cooling. And now the climate's cooling, but it's not actually warming. Who can we actually get to organize concretely against it? See, the, the whole idea or the genesis of CO2 is driving global climate change began in the 1950s. Uh, with a with a very little unknown paper, and again, uh, uh, most of the organizations were actually uh, that were pursuing uh, global uh, environmental goals were funded by the Rockefeller Foundation very early on. Oh, we love the Rockefellers, don't we? <laughs> so, so you you start seeing the links from like, for example, the uh, a lot of these uh, fairly well known international um, climate organizations. They all started off with Rockefeller money. 350.org was funded with uh, with Rockefeller, uh, initial Rockefeller Foundation money. Mm -hmm. So you have these organizations that are championing the idea that somehow the industrial output of the totality of of humanity is producing uh, changes that are either making the planet too warm or too cold. They're raising sea levels or decreasing sea levels or they're causing places to receive not enough water or too much water. And they're completely disregarding the fact that, well, okay, we've got other things like solar activity, cloud formation, cosmic background radiation or cosmic rays coming in that actually change cloud formation. And you're relying, and you're, and here's the best part, and this is what I love the best. You're relying on computer modeling to oh. tell you the future. And we know how good computer modeling yeah. is. Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, you only data coming out is only as good as what's going in. And, you know, humans are so arrogant thinking they know all the variables. I mean, that's one of the things about, I'm going to squirrel a bit. So remember where you are on this topic. This is really good. It. But um, about vaccination is the arrogance of thinking, you know, all about the immune reaction of somebody when you put this brand new group of formula in there. And of course, everyone's different. I mean, these are batch grown. You've got so many different ways that they're made. It, you know, there's just so many things that could go wrong. And to think you know exactly what's going to happen that you can say it's safe and effective. We know that that is not true, especially if you you read what the scientists are writing behind the scenes, what they say to each other. It's like, yeah, how are we going to overcome this problem and this problem? And they've got all those problems going on, but the products that are being sold out there, you know, it's like, um, you know, you're not told about that. But that arrogance that they think we don't like this. So we're going to do this and just see what happens. Exactly. And and then once somebody starts making money on that, whatever process you decided to try, there is a financial disincentive to look at unintended consequences. Correct. And, and then as new science comes along and teaches you more about the situation, like the brilliant microbiome that we didn't know about, we didn't know about the interstitial. We have like this whole organ that we didn't even call an organ, but we now we, we know it works like an organ, which is the interstitial, right? All the fluid there underneath the skin. And I'm not quite sure how that works, but 
and then the I, but I know what it's called. But the um, and then there's the <laughs> lymphatic system. They discovered in 2015 or 16, Javier. Yes. The lymphatic system's directly tied to the brain. Before oh, yeah. then, they didn't think that there was a direct tie-in. That direct tie-in. They thought that there was the blood-brain barrier would protect you from anything injected. You know, and anything in the lymphatic system isn't going to the brain. It was complete nonsense. They didn't know. And University of Virginia, I think it was, there's an article I like to tell people to go read. It says we have to rewrite all the medical textbooks. Everything yes. we thought we knew about human health is completely wrong because mm -hmm. the, it, they say now we know that probably the immune system is highly involved in neurodevelopmental issues. Oh yeah, psychological issues, all of this stuff, you know. Um, anyway, it's just it's just crazy that the arrogance, and then so here's this modeling where they throw in a few factors, you know, and say, okay, we're going to pretend like all the other complexities of life do not exist, and we're just, and then we're going to crank out answers till we get one we like that achieves the goal of control, and then we're going to. And we're going to, yeah, exactly, exploit it. And again, the, the whole idea, you know, most people think that, okay, what does a financial collapse has, have to do with COVID-19 or the the uh, the push for this uh, public health uh, uh, controlled uh, uh, society? Yeah. And there's, a, there's this great thread that I'm going to spend just uh, five minutes going over. But basically, uh, this is a Twitter thread on capitalist exploits at Capital EXP. And this person is an analyst or a, a, what he calls him. He calls himself a hedgy, which is a hedge fund manager. Okay. Uh, and he basically says the scam that cannot be named was the veil for ushering in the great reset an ability to crush small business, and destroy the middle class who represent the greatest threat to totalitarian rule. 100% agree with that. Mm -hmm. Print trillions of dollars, give it to themselves while controlling the collapse and collapse mm. is necessary for them to enable and justify a techno feudal state. Build back to matter. That's all it is. It's a techno mm. feudal state. The groundwork was uh, carefully laid for biomedical security states, passport systems, psychological neurolinguistic programming, much greater amount of work moved to online to digital. This is where the next manufacturing crisis is to come. Corralling all those in a digital system into something safe and secure. That is, you are going to have an identity, a digital identity, and you will not be able to do anything without that digital identity online oh. or off oh a digital id to be tied with cbdc's these are called central bank digital currencies controlling controlling spending programmable money that is one day your money will have a value of x and the next day will have a value of y depending on what these central banks need or whether or not you can buy food five miles away from your house or two blocks away from your house oh like they're doing isn't it in the uk somewhere that they're Thinking about setting up these neighborhoods where you can't shop outside your neighborhood? That's part of, that's a phase of this program. And again, if you actually look at uh, what uh, uh, Carson's, I'm trying to remember, uh, Augustine Carson, who is the general manager of the Bank of International Settlement, he was talking to members of the uh, Federal Reserve Banking Group, basically saying that CBDCs will allow us to see who is spending it who's spending what money and where, and mm -hmm. to control the value of each CBDC anytime we want. It'll be a one-way mirror in which the central banks and all these banks will know where you're spending your money and how and with whom, and they'll be able to turn on or turn off the spigot if you've been a good boy or a bad boy. Oh, 
You know, it reminds me of those those games. I don't ever really play them, but it's kind of like Sims or something. And so yes. they want the the powerful and rich. They just want us to be little Sims players, and they're going to sign us stuff. Ah, oh, this guy's going over the cliff. Yeah, there he goes. Exactly. No, I mean exactly. <laughs> and here's the other part. So I'm going to get to it because this has a direct implication to what we'll be discussing regarding the HB 1045. Okay. A digital ID to be tied with CBDCs, control spend social credit, ESG, and VAX passports. So it'll control your spending, it'll control your movement and travel, and it'll control health. And again, see 15-minute cities to what you were discussing, which is exactly what they're implementing. Payments being UBI, dependency is being established now. Post-dependency comes with a UBI. Soon as you're reliant on UBI, you are a slave to the entire structure, right? And UBI so, is universal basic income, basic income. which yep. this HB 1045 in Washington state is doing a pilot program to set up the evergreen um, yes. income. Um, yes. Right. Wow. And wow. if you actually start, if you start going back, it's all part of the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. Again, this is, and again, I don't, you know, I, if five years ago, if I would have uttered these words, I would have thought, this is conspiracy theory, right-wing loony crackpot stuff. But yeah. this is actually being driven by the UN and World Health Organization yeah. to try and basically corral and limit the sovereign ability of nations to decide their own fate, both yeah. industrially, agriculture, and environmentally, by subsuming it to one world government. Yeah. One world. Exactly. I know. Well, you know, we know this has been in play for a long time, all the little pieces heading in this direction. Do you get a sense that the top players in all of this, we've got Gates and we've got uh, Klaus Schwab and all the, you know, they're getting up there in years. Not that I'm not, but, um, and I feel like things are going faster than they should in order for them to not boil that frog too quickly. You know, yeah, and I I think that they the problem with with having it now unveil so quickly and yes. so obviously in your face, um, it well that's it's saving us because it has become so visible, and um and once you see it, it's forever there, and yeah. I continue me the Pollyanna. Um, you never go back. Once you see the corruption, you never go back to trusting. You never say, oh, gosh, I was wrong that the CDC is unreliable and corrupt. I was <laughs> wrong that those mRNA vaccines aren't perfectly safe and effective. Goodness gracious. No, I'm going to yeah. go back. I try. That never happens. No. Never. And again, and again, just to, just to uh, gild the lily on this one one last time, um, in a few weeks ago, Congress and President Biden passed the Global Health Security Agenda Act as part of the NDAA for a fiscal year 2023 at Section 5955, page 951. And this is something that they've been trying to implement since 2016 to strengthen the interlocking chains between the World Health Organization programs uh, and the U.S. government to do the same thing. And this is oh, basically... No. Global health security agenda is is the global war on humans using terror, communicable pathogens, and toxic injections. So this is something that's been, you know, they've been trying to push this for the longest time. And again, so, the NDAA is the vehicle. It's always been the vehicle. Okay. 
So read that to me again, because you listed things that we know they're using on us, but the wording sounds like they're going to control those things because only terrorists use those. Well, one, it's war on humans using terror. So again, it's basically be afraid. There's something coming up for you, a communicable disease or a, you know, climate change or uh, you know, these uh, right-wing or left-wing extremists that you need to bow down in order to, to be protected against. It doesn't matter. It's terror, pure and it's, simple. And but, it but they're it, the it, ones doing the terror. Correct. Correct. That's exactly <laughs> it. So, you know, it's funny when you go read fraud laws and domestic terrorist laws and all that, you just say, but that's what you're doing. That's what the health department does. That's what the CDC does. That's what Biden's doing. That's what all of these people are doing. Correct. <laughs> but the, um, these these are these are in congressional, and these are in bills. The National Defense Authorization Act is an omnibus spending bill that basically you put in whatever you want, but you are creating law without allowing Congress to actually review or basically give their input or scratch things out. This has been, this has been done in, in increments, small steps, each and every way. That it reminds me a bit, you know, I mean, things that get snuck in, the things that get passed, who knows what was in that $1.7 trillion package that, that passed. Nobody knows what's in it. Nobody knows. I mean, this is just insane how um, it, it doesn't mm -hmm. work and we need to, figure out there's that old expression um the system's broke we got to fix it but no i like the new improved version is the system is fixed and we need to break it okay. and you know and just start over and i that's not revolutionary talk on that sense i'm a peace peaceful it's all through talk and peace and, yeah. and citizen action now um but it is really concerning the way they want to label us as you know, anybody who goes against the grain as the, um, yeah, it's, well, there is, it isn't all bad news I'll okay. put it that way. So okay. one of the things that's happening is that, uh, you know, I, I saw a response that, uh, this per what I was reading on the, on the Twitter thread and one person said, well, you know what, that can't be possible because these very rich people are not that well coordinated with each other. <laughs> it's you know they're, they're yeah you're you're wrong because you don't know enough but you're also right because it's all about infactional fighting and who wants power and when mm. and one of the things that you're seeing and again i know that people either love or hate elon musk one mm. of the things that you're seeing with elon musk with twitter is basically this is another um this is another marketing campaign to see if they make uh, a billionaire uh popular with us plebes right? Mm. Well, here's a person that's fighting for free speech. Here's a person that's really cool because this person created SpaceX, Tesla, and, you know, he's a really smart guy, except mm -hmm. for the fact that he's reliant on federal money for all his companies. Uh, so, you know, I, I think in, in circumstances like that, that we have learned enough, I don't know about you, but it's like, if, if somebody is revealing truth, but I don't completely trust them or they have other agendas I don't agree with. I yep. embrace the truth. I say, I applaud the truth, but I do not Absolutely. then embrace everything about them. That's right? exactly it. That's yep. what we need to do. And you know, that's how you have a civil society really. It's, exactly. 
you know, um, you have to keep an, especially the people in power, you keep an eye on them, you find where you have common, but you know, it is, it's a big mistake right now. We've got it divided Democrats and Republicans, you know, and it's just and never the two shall meet. I mean, it's like, um, Romeo and Juliet. I mean, you, you, you can't get them together. It's going to lead to death. And, um, the, the division doesn't do us well. We are all, we are all human. And I don't know what Elon Musk is up to. So I am very yeah. grateful. I mean, I'm hoping, again, me, Pollyanna, I think that there are people who really innocently sure. love the idea of technology in the future and doing this. I mean, you take us back to, I think I'm a little older than you, but, you know, I grew up with George Jetson and, and all these sci-fi oh, movies yeah. and, and, you know, what the world's going to be and space flight was so new and exciting. And, you know, we love the idea of, of technology. And, and I think that there's still that excitement. What can we do? And it's not necessarily nefariously driven. No. And I just really hope that some of the things that Elon Musk has heavily invested invested in, like the the implants in the brain, the neural link to try. I mean, some of it has amazing uses. Somebody who's a paraplegic that they might be able to use this technology to right. So, what do you do when you've got a technology that can be? really serve something like that, but then be completely abused. Yeah. One is they're selling it as a, a augmentation of humanity, but in reality, it's a uh, system of control because again, Neuralink and all these other brain, uh, brain body interfaces uh, are using technology of which, you know, you have to trust the people that are using yeah. or that are developing it and producing it that mm -hmm. they're not going to use it in a way that's going to alter your brain chemistry or your personality or might alter uh, or bias your thinking in a certain way that is instrumental and in, in directing it to you and again the yeah. subtleties of brain machine interfaces yeah uh, we're just scratching the surface but one other thing that most people don't realize is that it's amazing that they're moving forward with human clinical trials with these brain machine interfaces the Neuralink trials and the other uh, trials for the other systems, like the one that uh, uh, Bezos back money is, is pushing, uh, you have about a 20% death rate in, in animals models. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. How are they able to do the human trials with such a high death rate? How are they able to get uh, oh, yeah. mRNA vaccines approved? Well, I, I guess, you know, I guess one of the things that really did, kind of I have a moment of great pause and concern was when I began to realize that all the great laws and declarations that humans have written to try to you know live in harmony together only have any strength of protection if the people in society decide to honor and respect them the people in control yes so you know, it doesn't matter that it's on paper if you don't have the judges, if you don't have your journalists investigating the judges ruling on actually on the law and the constitution all the way across mm -hmm. the board. Yeah. And, and, you know, it shows really how flimsy our freedoms are as far as being protected by what we think is there to protect us. Um, right. Right. And that's, yeah. that's something that you have to be a participant in the society that you want to create 
one thing that's been, that's been sold to us as a society in, in, in Western society is the convenience of having these technologies available to us. Again, mm-hmm. the, cell phone, the cell phone is one of the most convenient tools ever developed. Yeah. Ever. Ever. And it's, ever. Yeah. And it's made it, it very easy. It's like a little dream to this girl from, you know, born in the early 60s and, you know, and, and be me up Scotty. And it's like, it's like a, a re, what are they called? A tricorder or whatever it was called. Oh, yeah. 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 Although we don't have flip ones anymore. Now they got big and kind of ugly, but you got, nice I know. Screen. you know, when I was little, I had a Viewmaster and then there was a Viewmaster, like you could make it like a movie. There was like a movie one and you'd have to go in your closet and turn off the light to make yep. it, you know, shine yep. on the wall. I remember those. Oh yeah. It was like magic to me and the thought that I can now stream a movie anywhere I am into my hand I mean you know I I still get that and then I can look anything up and connect with it really is but mankind has the hardest problem with we invent things and immediately even before it's on the market somebody's figured out how to use and abuse it and harm somebody with it (laughs) or take control of somebody or steal something from somebody with it it's it's always been that issue. And again, you know, yeah. when you look at electricity, uh, there was, you know, if whether or not you believe it or not, there was a, a longstanding feud between, uh, or at least there was a vision of Tesla and there was a vision of uh, Morgan. Oh, honey, you are talking to the author of A Spark of Death, the Professor Bradshaw Mysteries. No, so I know about the Edison and the Tesla. <laughs> <laughs> so this is the fight, right? Yeah, this you is had, the you fight. Had a person, this is the fight. You have a person that says... Energy yeah. is free, freely available to everyone. Can you imagine when we can produce the the, the economic explosion that would happen if you let yeah. just people play with it? And you got the other side basically saying, uh, no, we want to control it. That's not a good idea. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's I guess it's the nature of, of being human on this planet. And uh, yeah. it's a crazy time to be alive. It's a crazy time to have so much so much going on in so many directions. And what I really, you know, I want to encourage, you know, listeners out there and viewers, I, I, of course, I want everybody to get active. You got to live an informed life means educate yourself on all this, but do try to take breaks, go, go hug your kids, take, you know, take some time to nourish yourself, your spiritual well being, walk in the grass, eat well, you know, love, pray, whatever you do. Um, they're basically a lot of people are still good and you know, angels are still yes. looking after us, but exactly. where was I going? I, I I'm, I'm squirreling in like six directions. Okay. It was that and that, um, look out for yourself, get active. I had a point. Okay. I'll come back to it later. Cause it there was really, um, a, Oh, <laughs> I get, I get, I guess it was this is that don't, I, you know, it's You can't be an expert on all of it. No. Right. And sometimes you can drive yourself crazy because you're so afraid of so many things. Fear is the weapon of the enemy. Let's say every enemy they're using fear, fear of job loss, fear of disease, um, you know, even fear of what's happening to every everything is fear. And we have to consciously uh, with intention um, and with different chosen methods not allow that fear to consume us and find that inner self and peace um 
that is so necessary to to move forward. I, you know, I'm such a Pollyanna. I, and people say that that I have duck oil. My, I think my good friend Gina Dean uh, <laughs> put that on me because I'd be in a situation and it's like I'm I'm observing bad things yeah. going on. Um, I I fight them, but at times they energize me because that little, you know, I love to fight yeah. injustice. Get fires me up. But then I'm able to step away when I need to. And so things, she said duck oil, because it just kind of rolls off me, like like rainwater rolls over a duck. Um, not everybody has duck oil. So know who you are. Um, another really good friend of mine um, is, is has, what's that? She's um, the really good empath, empath, or is that An what empath, it is? Yeah. So she'll walk into a room and the energy of who is in the room, she can't, it's, it's like that character on Star Trek, you know, just yes. feels and knows everything going on and it overwhelms her. So she she does her mission, her passion and helps the movement from a certain distance because exactly. you got to know how thick your duck oil is or where your groove is and where you can fit in. So I everybody just, I guess, find your passion Find your strengths, your weaknesses. Um, you know, the, it's all okay. Just figure out who you are and what your gift is. Exactly. You know? Yeah. And try to have exactly. that balance. And that form said, community. Yeah. A community. Wow. Community is so important. Yes. Don't, yeah. Um, again, I'm in a bubble. I don't know about you, but I'm in a bubble where my husband and I are completely aligned on all this, you know? And so... I know that's huge. Yes. There's a lot of people out there in a household where, um, yeah. So find your community. If you are in one of those households and you're just keeping it going, you know, because love's helping you keep it through, um, you probably each need to go find your community to make sure you both stay sane and everything. And hopefully your paths will converge again. I don't know. Um, But you hope. Yeah. That's the only thing you can do. And again, fight the good fight with, with the UBI, with HB 1045. One of the things that, you know, um, if you, if you want to get involved is just start start asking questions like, okay, well, if anyone can self-declare as it's written in, in the, uh, in the bill, Mm self-declare their, their uh, status and their need. Talk about um, that. And then I'm going to show people how they can go give um, comment. But tell yeah. us how we do it on time. Yeah. So explain that what the bill says about how you can qualify. Yeah. So this is this a pilot, for the program. pilot program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you just basically have to self-declare. You don't have to be a citizen. You don't have to. They're they're trying to say they're, they're targeting people that have uh, either you know uh, social, mental, or uh, economic uh, deprivation. But again, the pilot program, they're not allowed to ask. You know how how can you how can you can you do you actually need can you approve it? it? Yeah. yeah, can you prove yeah. it? You can self-declare that you need that that you that you're in a bad yeah. situation. So this this program already is going to be it's ripe for uh, for for abuse. I'm sure it won't be because a lot of people are going to hear about it and say this is an opportunity. I need a leg up, or I, I'm in right. a bad situation. I need that. And there's yeah. all of these other programs that they're dependent on. But the pro the the UBI program is basically says you know we'll we'll cover the difference if if it contradicts any of these other programs. Yeah. Again, 7,500 people for a pilot program, it's not that big at it's a government level. And then people that they named who probably could 
who will say, I'll sign up for that will be probably hundreds of thousands, you know, I mean, it's going to be quite a bit, you know, there, if, if, you know, depending on who will say, (laughs) yeah, advantage of that if they'll give it to me. And and there I know that they if it passes, we're, we're hoping that we can block it because it is not good for the state. It's not good for the nation. It's not where we want to go. I, I do believe in helping the community. I believe we need to help each other not fail. I don't think anybody in this nation should, you know, not be able to have access to medical care or that children should not starve. But the, you know, the government stepping in and doing this is not going to solve anything. It is, it's got a different true mission here. Um, So what was I going to say? Oh, so, but when so many people apply, that will be used. And my my prediction is if it passes, they will go back to the legislature and say, look, we had 150,000 people sign up for this. And every day we get so many more on the wait list saying, if you make it permanent, they want it. And it was so successful. We're ready to make it permanent. So let's see if we can expand this to the entire state, right? It's not, you know, that's what they're going to do. They say it's going to be years of of looking at it, but, you know, that's not the goal. And it's, we're not the only state putting either looking at it or some states already have some sort of similar pilot program. Program, There was a Forbes article I was reading, but let me, let me share with you and viewers um, so that I want people to really understand what they're commenting on And I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You read it all. You go explore the meaning of of what some of these things might be. Um, Just remember the surface of what you're reading. You have to really dig deeper to see if there is an underlying intent that even the bill drafters may not be aware of. That's the problem, right? There's so many layers that this is being fed to. so anyway, and I'll tell this, uh, I'll describe it out to our radio listeners. And if you could go watch this on CHD later, CHD TV, then you can follow along. Um, but there's also a campaign being drafted right now that will go out that will take you through the basic steps <clears throat> of how to go give a comment on a bill in Washington state. This is important for everybody to know. If you support this or don't support this, it's important for your voice to be heard. Um, so uh, you go find the bill, you go to uh, uh, leg.wa.gov, so ledge.wa.gov. If you just search for that, you'll get to the Washington State Legislature. And then you can click on um, bill information and then type in the bill number 1045. It will bring you to the bill page. So the first thing I always tell people to go and do is look over to the right and you're going to see on this bill page, comment on this bill and you will click that button. And then what it does is it asks you to first verify your legislative district. So you put in your street address and then you're an, um, and click verify address your district and then it'll, it'll tell you who your legislators are. And then you enter in your contact information. And then the third step, it says, um, enter your bill comment to the member. And this member is your member. It's 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 your, your representatives um, or your senator. This is a House bill, so it'll be your representatives. And then you can click support, oppose, or neutral on the bill. And then the little comment space gives you 5,000 characters to enter a comment. Um, it's really pretty easy to do. 
I'll stop sharing for now and then I'm going to go back and show you some more, uh, some more steps to actually talk to the committee. Um, you don't have to be brilliant. People are like, oh, how do I talk? They don't know how to do it. You need your own words. Just yes. go read it. If you are a human being who can cook your own meal and get to your job and function in this world, you can read something and then just sell them. I don't believe in this bill. I think it's wrong. That's enough. That's enough. You know, if you're like Javier, you're going to wax poetic and then you're going to say, email them a, a 25 page white paper on the subject. Okay. But you don't have to do that. And honestly, independent individual comments are very powerful. They add yes. up. They'll say, I had a thousand people write to oppose the bill and five people supported the bill. They pay attention to that. But yes. if it comes in and it's form language and it's a form letter, it's one of those, I, I, we do do some campaign type things, but yep. those aren't ideal because those get disregarded. They are weighted almost as nothing. Right. So you, be brave. You can do it. Two or three sentences. Just say, no, I don't support this. Or if it's a good bill, yes, I support this. Okay. Now I'm going to show you the next step in how to speak to um, a committee. Let's see. Go to here. And I think we'll go back here. Share. Here we go. So um, did it go back to the bill page there, Javier? Are you seeing that? Yeah. HB 1045. Yes. Okay. Um, oh, wait, hold on a minute. I got to take you through. Okay, I'll take you through the whole thing. We're going to go to the home page. Let's see if it goes there. Did it follow me to the home page? It did. Fantastic. So when you go to the home page of the Washington State Legislature, look over to your right and you're going to see some helpful links. You know, Washington State, for all the things I don't like about the politics, they really do it right on their website. They've got so much information. And when you call, they are so helpful. Anyway, let your voice be heard. So um, participating in the process, you can click on participating in the process. And then it's going to show you a page about how to communicate with your legislate, legislator. And I just showed you that. But then you can also participate in a committee hearing. And all three of these actually take you to the same place. So I'm going to click on testifying in a committee hearing. And then it bring you to a page there. It just says committee sign in. Um, Javier, did you see that? Does it say yep. committee sign in? It looks good. good. Okay, good. Um, and so here, you want to have already noted the bill that you're interested in, whether it's a House bill, a Senate bill, a joint bill, or some sort of agency legislation. Most of the time, it's going to be a House or Senate bill. And you're just simply going to click on that. And you also want to have noted the number of your bill and the committee that it's going to be heard on in. That will be listed on the bill page, the date, that, and time when it's scheduled for committee. So you're going to click, I'm going to click on the house because it's house bill 1045. And then I'm going to find the committee. There's going to be a drop down menu. Um, are you with me there? You seeing that? So it's in the so human good. services, youth and early learning. So you go there and then there's going to be a little box uh, about the meetings and you get to select what day. And this is on 111.23. Again, I learned that on the bill page. And so far on that day, just one bill is being heard. So I'm clicking this one bill and then it gives me a list of four choices, Javier. It says, I would like to testify in person during the hearing. And I called the, the Legislative Information Center 
today and I found out that yes, so far this session, you're going to be able to go in and physically in person attend committees and give public wow. comment. Isn't that fantastic? Wow. Yeah. So it's a there are a lot of little steps I won't take you through here, but you just click on I would like to testify in person during the hearing, carefully read the instructions and, and do that. And it'll tell you where to go, how to sign in when you get there. Um, I always say find a buddy. When you find a buddy, you're like, you know, Lucy and Ethel. Maybe that's not a good example, but you'll go, you'll have fun, you'll laugh, you'll figure it out. Right. Exactly. Um, if you're not able to go, and please, if you can go, it, this is next Wednesday, if you can be there in person and, and fill that committee room, that would be fantastic. You can go and not have to give public comment if you're nervous and you really just don't want to do that. You don't have to testify. But when you go, you can indicate that you are there. There's a place to check in and your stance on the bill. Okay, you can do that. Or you can click on, I would like to testify remotely. And follow the steps, and then they're going. You're connected via like a Zoom sort of connection, and you'll be able to give public comment. There you um, go. And they give you the information. Um, and then you could say, "I would like my position noted for the legislative record." Anybody can do that. Oh no, we're running up time. And then the other one is, "I'd like to submit written testimony." And I always say, no matter what you do, both give your stance and submit public testimony. So there you go. House Bill 1045, take action. Um, have a great weekend. Go to Olympia on Monday the 9th. Um, have a great weekend. You're listening to an Informed Life Radio, 1150 AM, KKNW and CHDTV. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye now. Hi, I'm Brad Dacus, president and founder of the Pacific Justice Institute. For over 25 years, PGI's mission has been to defend religious freedom, parental rights, and the sanctity of human life. PGI has protected patients from being taken off life support and stood up for citizens around the country facing job loss for medical decisions that should be left between them and their doctor. For free legal representation and resources, visit pji.org. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy. But we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.